From the studios at WMFE in Orlando, Florida, this is the Space Exploration Podcast that asks the question, are we there yet? Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. NASA's planet-hunting satellite has completed its first year of science in space. The spacecraft searched the southern sky for signs of so-called exoplanets. The mission seeks to answer one of science's age-old questions, are we alone in the universe? The Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite, or TESS, identifies planets outside our solar system by staring at the stars. When a planet passes between the star and the spacecraft, the light of that star dims. TESS measures that dip in light, and scientists can use that data to determine what kind of planet is causing the dimming. This week, NASA announced TESS has found a new planet, about 31 light years away, that exists in the so-called habitable zone, meaning it's the right distance away from its host star to have liquid water. The observations will help future telescopes, both on the ground and in space, make even more detailed observations of these planets and search for signs of life. To talk about the spacecraft's first year of science, we're joined by Mark Clampin. He's the director of the Sciences and Exploration Directorate at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. Mark, thanks for speaking with us. Uh, It's a pleasure. Well, Mark, it's been one year since TESS began its science campaign. Um, What's it been up to in these past 12 months? So in the past 12 months, TESS has been uh, mapping the southern hemisphere. Its goal is to look for small rocky planets around the brightest stars in the sky. So it's been slowly mapping each of the sectors of the southern hemisphere looking for small rocky planets. Uh, Already we've got something like uh, 900 uh, candidates for planets. And we've also found some systems that we've been able to confirm and some of those are really exciting. We're seeing uh, supersized Earth-like planets in, in habitable zones. And we're also seeing systems with planets that do not resemble what we see in our own solar system. And it's kind of fascinating how TESS does this. Can you kind of explain how um, the spacecraft and, and, and folks on the ground are actually identifying where these planets are? Sure. So TESS is really just an array of cameras that stare at the sky, and they're what we call wide-field cameras. They cover a large um, field of view on the sky, and they are designed to exploit something we call the transit technique. And you can think of that very simply as um, an eclipse. So you know when we have a lunar eclipse, the moon blocks out light from the sun, and it goes dark. When a planet... Uh, moves across the face of its star, it causes a very small dip in the light coming from that star. And with TESS's very sensitive cameras, we can measure that. And the depth of that dip tells us roughly how big the planet is. And then when we see a second dip, which allows us to confirm the planet, but also gives us a period, we can start to put together some real data on what kind of planets we're looking at. So you'd mentioned you're, you're looking for these rocky Earth-like planets um, that could be in, in the habitable zone. Tell me a little bit about this area around a star and why planetary scientists are so interested in finding planets that exist there. So uh, one of NASA's big science goals is the search for life. And uh, we believe that one place that we could look for evidence of life on other planets is in what we call the habitable zone. And this is that zone that corresponds to our own solar system where the Earth orbits. So the Earth is just far enough away from our sun that water um, on Earth can be liquid. If you think of Mars, it's kind of 
very dry and there's no atmosphere or very little atmosphere anymore. And if you think of uh, Venus, it's probably too hot to have liquid water and you know, liquid water would turn to steam. So we're really talking about this very nice range of orbits around any given star where you could have liquid water on that planet. And that's where we're especially interested in finding uh, orbits of these small rocky planets. If I recall correctly, um, TESS's predecessor, the Kepler Space Telescope, identified dozens of these planets in this habitable zone. And, you know, the expectation is TESS will, will do the same as well. Has that been a surprise for planetary scientists that there are so many out there um, that exist in this area? It, it certainly has been a surprise to me. When I started my career, we didn't know of any ex, extrasolar planets. So um, the you know, very rapid rush of discoveries that came with Kepler was um, a very big surprise. Um, there's a difference, you know, people often ask me, what's the difference between TESS and Kepler? So Kepler was trying to answer a question on a statistical basis. And, you know, the basic question it was trying to answer is, if I look at any star in the sky, what's the probability it has a planet? And so it just stared at one piece of the sky for a very long time. Instead, TESS is really uh, a finder scope for next generations of space telescopes, and in particular, NASA's forthcoming James Webb telescope. So it's really focused on looking at the brightest stars in the sky and finding which one of those have transiting rocky planets that James Webb can then go and study in detail. Now, these planets are really far away. Um, you know, one of the planets that was announced this week, one of the findings, it was 31 light years away. Why study something so far away? What, what's, what's the impact that they can have on our understanding of the universe if we can't visit them? One of NASA's science goals, as I said, is the search for life in the universe. And one of the steps on the way to uh, answering that question is to look at planets around other stars. And yes, they're far away, but as we develop new techniques in astronomy and astrophysics, we come up with new ways of probing those observations to see whether there could possibly be life on some of these planets. And that's that's where we're kind of headed here. So as I said, the next generation space telescope, the uh, James Webb Space Telescope that will launch in 2021, will be able to probe the atmospheres of some of these planets in some detail and look for specific signatures that we associate with life here on Earth, you know, carbon dioxide, water, methane, and so on in the atmospheres of these planets. So TESS is kind of like a exoplanetary scout that's going out there and looking for these places that other telescopes will eventually go and, and dig deeper, right? Absolutely. TESS is finding all the targets that we will study with space telescopes and also with you know the next generation of ground-based telescopes for the next three or four decades. What are some of the interesting findings uh, from this first year of, of the science campaign, uh, Mark Clampin? Um, what have you kind of, you know, been surprised or, or excited about seeing in the data? Well, one of the things that I find really uh, surprising is the number of systems we find with planets that do not resemble the ones we have in our own solar system. So if you look at our solar system, we have four small rocky planets, including Earth, and then we have four big gas giants. And what um, we're finding with TESS is that there are a lot of systems where all of the planets uh, have masses that are in between the size of the Earth and the size of Neptune. 
you know, planets we just don't have in our own solar system. And in fact, one system that I, I'm particularly interested in has one super Earth-sized planet and two uh, planets that are a fraction of the size of Neptune. So these are new kinds of planets, and we're interested in how they formed, why these systems are different from our own solar system. And I'll just mention one other thing that particularly resonates with me because I spent a long time studying this subject. Um, there's a nice um, result that was published a few months ago uh, showing you know, evidence of a transit of a comet as it falls onto a star. Mm -hmm. So we've been studying a star called Beta Pictoris, which has a big debris disk for many years. And the debris disk is just all the junk that's left over after planets form in a solar system. Mm -hmm. And it's been known for a long time uh, from spectroscopic observations that we see these things that are falling onto the star and evaporating. And TESS actually just saw several of these uh, comets in transit as they sort of fell onto the star and then evaporated. Mm -hmm. are, are these findings kind of confirming the conventional wisdom we have of solar systems, or is TESS giving us more uh, more questions rather than answers? No, I think TESS is raising a lot of um, questions about how planets form and evolve and how you get the you know different kinds of solar systems that we're seeing. You know, the more we find... I've been working in this field for 30 years, and you know, just about everything we discover about exoplanets kind of overturns what we thought we knew <laughs> before. So it's a really exciting field, and it's always been fun to work in it because there really isn't that much conventional wisdom for very long. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like our solar system is the one that's out of the ordinary, right? It could be, yes. <laughs> and and you mentioned that uh, TESS is looking at, at these comets. Um, I was surprised to find that, that TESS is not just looking at exoplanets, but comets, as you mentioned, and also supernovae. Um, can you talk about some of the other observations the uh, the telescope is making? Yes, so the, the comet observation was um, was interesting just because it confirmed um, a number of um, ideas about why we were seeing these evaporating, or what we thought were these evaporating bodies. You know, actually seeing them falling into the star is quite an achievement. But as you said, yes, TESS is also discovering a lot of supernovae that can be um, studied as well. And you know, we we think as the mission goes on, and we do more and more analysis of the data, we're going to find other new and interesting phenomena that are probably very new. Now, TEST only cost about $200 million, which in the grand scheme of things is pretty cheap when it comes to space telescopes. Um, how was TEST able to come in at such a low cost and still kind of maximize all of its science findings as it is? So TEST is part of NASA's um, Explorers program. It's um, Basically, uh, these are cost cap programs. The uh, principal investigator proposes a concept. Uh, it goes through extensive peer review, and out of all the concepts that are proposed, one is selected, ultimately, and TESS was selected. And then the principal investigator and his team have to build and uh, launch the uh, science payload to the budget that was agreed upon. So it's very... Um, it's a very interesting journey going from that initial proposal to the final launch and then the science operations of the instrument, you know, making sure that you stay inside the budget and mm -hmm. make the appropriate science trades as you go along if 
if you have problems. Mm-hmm. Now, TESS was launched on a SpaceX Falcon 9. As we know, SpaceX is working to lower the cost of access to space. And with more of these low-cost missions coming online, that's got to be a bright spot for planetary scientists, right? Ab- absolutely. Um so I work in, I, I direct the Sciences and Exploration Directorate at Goddard, and we actually have four major fields. So we have Earth scientists, astrophysicists, heliophysicists, and solar system scientists. And they're all finding lots of exciting new opportunities with the sort of opening up of commercial space and many small platform opportunities like CubeSats that we you know didn't have five or ten years ago. So, yes, there's a lot of uh, new ideas and new opportunities to do really outstanding science. Mm -hmm. And with a public mission supported by NASA like this, um, the data is publicly available. Um, Who are you relying on to parse through all of this data and, and make these discoveries? How does that process work? So the process works as follows. Um, the team that built the um, satellite, which is um, led by George Ricker at, at MIT, uh, George has a science team at MIT, and they are obviously you know, working you know, very vigorously on all the data that's coming in. But because the data is made public almost immediately, anybody can uh, download the observations and do their own searches. So there are many small groups in the exoplanet community across the whole science community working on test data. So a lot of the new discoveries are coming obviously from the MIT team, but we also have new discoveries being made by, you know, teams at various universities across the nation and in, you know, for that matter across the world working on this data. And finally Mark Clampen, um what's next for TESS? Um we're wrapping up the 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 first year of its science observations. It's um, observed about most of the southern hemisphere. Uh, what's ahead uh, for TESS? So in the next year, TESS will turn from the southern hemisphere to the northern hemisphere and conduct again, you know, this extensive mapping of the whole northern hemisphere and most of the bright stars in the northern hemisphere looking for um, small rocky planets and then um, after that it will go into what's called an extended mission and uh, once missions reach the end of their nominal lifetime, and in Tess's case it's two years, they go through something called senior review, where the science community reviews the performance and you know says yes or no, we should continue with this mission. So Tess has been through its senior review, and it will continue into an extended mission, making the same kind of observations. And obviously, as you look for longer and longer, you find more and more planets with longer periods. So that's the benefit of going into this extended mission phase. And uh, how many exoplanets do you estimate TESS will help uncover? That's a good question. I I mean, as I said, you know, in our first year, we already have nine, 900 candidates just from the Southern Hemisphere. So I'm guessing it's going to be several thousands by the time we get to the um, end of the second year as well. And has has the findings from tests helped you answer that age-old question of, of, are we alone in the universe? I think TESS is finding the targets that we will then be able to start to address part of that question using the next generation of large space telescopes. So as I said, TESS is really finding these interesting systems so that we can then focus on the, the really important ones with telescopes such as uh, the James Webb Space Telescope when we launch it in 2021. 
It's a fascinating mission. Um, thank you so much for speaking um, to me about TESS uh, and its first year um, conducting its science campaign. Uh, we've been speaking with Mark Clampin. He's the Director of Sciences and Exploration Directorate at NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center. Mark, thanks so much for speaking with us. Yes, thank you. It's a pleasure. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. The conversation continues online. You can follow us on Facebook, search for Are We There Yet podcast, or send us a tweet. We're at AWTYMars. Or if you have a story idea or guest pitch, send me an email. Are We There Yet at WMFE.org. This podcast is a production of WMFE. Our theme music was composed by Kevin McLeod. More space news online at WMFE.org slash space. And until next time, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening.